I always, I grew up attending church regularly and hearing scriptures regularly, but it wasn't until I was a little bit older and began to read scriptures uh, more intentionally and to study them, especially in uh, seminary, that it struck me just how many sayings in the English language come from the Bible, and especially uh, the King James Version. And we hear one of those great sayings today from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the salt of the earth. I'm sure that you have heard this expression. You've probably used it to describe someone who is uh, very down to earth, very uh, unpretentious, trustworthy, um, someone who could be relied on when uh, things get tough, a person who doesn't make a big fuss about him or herself and doesn't take himself, himself too seriously. And so Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? That's an odd question, uh, given what we know about salt. Um, As far as I can tell, it never goes bad. It never really changes much unless you do something to it, such as adding it to water or some other kind of recipe or melting it uh, uh, in the snow. It stays pretty static. But in his uh, metaphor here, Jesus says, if it loses its taste, it's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, why the image of salt, I wonder? I think because of its simpleness, because of its humility, it's a very humble part of our lives, but it's also a vital part of our lives. Uh, Imagine a world without salt. Um, The oceans, whole ecosystems thrive because of salt water. We need it for our nutrition. Uh, We use it for preserving our foods. We use it for uh, safety, for melting ice on roads and sidewalks. It's even used in the making of holy water, believe it or not. So it's everywhere. It's part of us. And it's very useful. And again, it's, it's a simple thing that doesn't toot its own horn, if you will. Back in the readings from Isaiah today, we heard some grumbling. We fast. We do this. We do that. We check off all these boxes. Why don't you notice us when we do these things? And the prophet says to the people, you've really got your priorities all wrong. You are fasting in order to to fight. You are fasting in order to repress your workers. But what I'm telling you is that when you share your bread with the hungry, when you bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked and cover them, and when you do not hide yourself from your own kin, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. That is the feast. That is a fast that is worthy of repentance. That is a fast that is worthy of the attention of God. And it is God's attention, not other people's attention, that we strive for when we undertake spiritual disciplines, such as fasting. Now, in a few weeks, we will begin the season of Lent, and many of you will no doubt uh, begin a fast of some form or another. And we are told in a number of places in the scriptures that when you fast, don't 
distort your face or uh, you know, roll around in sackcloth and ashes so that people will notice you and think you're very holy. But you know, wash your face, fast in private, pray in private, and God who sees in private will reward you. So we have this, this usefulness, this utility of salt, and also this image of light. So salt and light, two things that are pretty essential to life. And this idea of using resources or being a resource for God in the right way, putting our minds in the right frame, if you will. Now, in addition to what we heard from, uh, from Isaiah about the fasting, we are in our Saturday evening service uh, reading from St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. It's a classic of Christian spirituality. It was written about 500 years ago, but the way she writes uh, is, is very interesting because it's so, it sounds so fresh, and it's very conversational. It's like you're talking with a friend. And even though it was 500 years ago, maybe this has to do with the translation we're using, but it, it doesn't sound too dated or out of touch. You feel like she's right there with you, teaching you. And so she, ta- she likens the human soul to a castle, the interior castle. And in it are many, many rooms. And we first enter the castle by becoming self-aware, by knowing ourselves, and using that self-knowledge to better ourselves. And there are obstacles along the way, but the pathway, as she lays it out, is to get to the innermost room in the castle where the beloved dwells. The beloved, of course, is God. And she uses some examples of ways that we can sort of get off, off track. Now, bear in mind, she was a nun, and she lived with other sisters, religious sisters. And so I like that she uses these, uh, these examples. And they're supposed to be, uh, I, I think that they're supposed to be made up, but you know that she knew someone just like that, or else she might even be talking about herself. You know how sometimes when people will ask a question uh, online and they'll say, asking for a friend, which really means I'm asking for myself, but I'm too embarrassed to, to say that out loud. But she says, uh, I knew that this, for example, let's say there's this sister. And this sister uh, is given to acts of self-mortification and fasting. She said, these things are good in and of themselves. They are good spiritual discipline. They lead us to God by purifying ourselves and, uh, and taking away the layers of stuff that accumulate uh, from earth, uh, fondness for possessions, fondness for uh, temporal things. And they put us in a mind of things spiritual and things eternal. She said, that is good. But this sister that I know, she, she gave herself to these acts of discipline and self-mortification all the time to the point where she wasn't happy unless she was miserable. <laughs> And I think uh, we may have been in those situations ourselves or may have known someone like that in our lives. But so she's saying that the sister took her spiritual discipline too far to the point where it distracted her and it became the ends. The means became the ends for her. And she said, I know another sister. And this sister strives for perfection. Now, this one hit a little bit home to me. And this sister strives for perfection so much that she's constantly seeing faults in others. 
and she points out the faults in others, and she alienates herself from her friends and from the other sisters. And so while it is good sometimes to point out something that needs to be corrected, constantly pointing out people's faults doesn't lead to anything good. It leads to uh, soured relationships, and uh, it doesn't lead to the bringing together of the body of Christ. It doesn't lead to greater knowledge or openness to the Spirit. It shuts us down. So this is, I think, all what we're talking about today, about this, uh, this humble utility that Jesus is looking for in us. Not uh, showing the world how great and holy and wonderful we are, not by, uh, you know, as he says, uh, praying aloud on the street corners, but by a steadfast and faithful life where, yes, we trip up and we make our mistakes and we sin and we all fall short of the glory of God, but where we keep our eyes fixed on that light that is glimmering somewhere inside that interior castle that we call our souls. And St. Paul today was talking about, in those, uh, in those uh, terms, he says, no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. You see, it's all about keeping our eyes and ears and minds attuned to that and to uh, looking to the example of Jesus and his saints for their humility and their uh, willingness to serve and to, to, to sacrifice for God and for God's kingdom, to spread the love and the, the message of salvation into all the world. And so I close with this image that Jesus gives to us about a light. He says, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. I would add to that that by putting the light on the lampstand, it serves everyone have you ever been in a situation where the power goes out? I know you have if you live here. And you have a candle in your hand. If you hold the candle close to your eyes, you can't see anything. All you can see is the glare of the candle. But if you hold it up, it gives light, more light in the room. And you can see and others can see around you. So you put that light on a lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, so that they may see your good works and not praise you and not be dazzled by that light, but that they can use that light to see more clearly for themselves and to see the good that you're doing is coming through the gifts bestowed on you by the Spirit of God 
and then they will give praise to God, and they will be moved to do the same. So you see, we are all sort of in this together as brothers and sisters, and we, we uh, sort of pull each other along with, with life ropes and, and uh, buoys and whatever else through the seas of life and up the mountains and through the paths. And we're all on this journey to, towards the inner chamber of our interior castle. We're all on this journey towards the beloved. So let us keep our eyes fixed on his light that emanates from within and use that light to enlighten the world, to enlighten ourselves and one another's, and to be faithful and humble servants of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.